is Bloomberg Surveillance. Innovation is something which by its nature cannot be forecast. If you could forecast it, it wouldn't be innovation. We think that people have leapfrogged what is reasonable into excessive worry. We took some major fiscal steps to expand the economy in 2009. We followed up with several more, but those ended prematurely. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene from the nation's capital. We say good morning to all of you coast to coast on Sirius XM Channel 119, Bloomberg 1200, Boston, Bloomberg 1130, New York, uh, in San Francisco in the Bay Area, Bloomberg 960, and a particular good morning to those of you listening uh, within the Washington-Baltimore area, Bloomberg 991 FM. Let me get right to the Forex report. We have a very important guest coming up here to add to our good conversation of the morning. The Forex Brief brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award for the best retail Forex trading platform. Visit IB at ibkr.com slash Forex dollar stronger. You see that in DXY up to 98.5. That's really becoming elevated. Not a breakout, not a breakout to a stronger uh, dollar, but nevertheless, there it is. Weekend 114.21, Euro 108.45. Gives ways a little bit. Not like the yen, but gives way. Sterling back to a 140, 138, 139, 140, 140, 23, and dollar Canada showing some of that hydrocarbon lift going 137 to a 134. 76 in the last few days. This is the interview, Michael McKee, I've waited for. You've been waiting for this. All morning. You've been excited. Lonnie Chen is very good. He's very smart. He worked with Mr. Romney in the 2012 campaign. He has been affiliated with a small startup shop, Stanford Law School, and went on to provide valuable perspective at the Hoover Institution, uh, as well as Director of Domestic Policy Studies. One M. Rubio has been wise enough to select his wisdom, and Lonnie Chen uh, uh, is with us this morning as a Rubio policy advisor. Uh, Dr. Chen, good morning. When I look at Marco Rubio on Fox last night, basically sweating bullets, trying to get organized and to move forward, what will be your advice to get to Michigan, to get to his Florida, and to get to the convention? Well, Tom, good morning. It's very kind of you to have me on, and I appreciate the, the kind introduction. I, I think that this race is, is just getting started, and I really believe that because we're headed toward a part of the race where all the delegates are going to be selected in a winner-take-all basis rather than a proportional basis. And, and ultimately, look, at the end of the day, the race is about delegates. So, you know, I think Senator Rubio is going to be focused on March 15th. You talked about it a little bit this morning in your previous segment. The Florida primary is March 15th. You've got a lot of big states that happen after March 15th. And so, you know, while obviously, you know, Donald Trump had a good night last night, the reality is that the delegate gap between Marco Rubio and Donald Trump is only about 100 delegates. And so when we move into the next phase of the campaign, there are some really big prizes, starting with Florida, that we're focused on. So that, that I think, is the thing that people need to remain focused on and, and to think about carefully as we move forward in this race. You look at the polls, the real clear average for the polls in Florida shows Trump with about a 20-point lead over Marco Rubio. How do you close that gap if you're 20 points behind in your home state right now? 
Well, let me offer a couple observations. First of all, Marco Rubio has done well in Florida. Obviously, he's represented the state of Florida in the United States Senate for the last several years. There's a network and an infrastructure that the campaign's building in Florida that we feel very comfortable with. The other element of this is, you know, two weeks in politics is an eternity. And if you look just at what happened the last couple of days with Senator Rubio really aggressively drawing that contrast with, with Donald Trump, uh, he was able to, to have some success, particularly with late deciders last night. We feel that as the real Donald Trump continues to be exposed here over the next couple of weeks, that people are going to be uh, looking to Senator Rubio as the alternative. And so what we plan to do over the next couple of weeks is to very aggressively contrast what Senator Rubio would do as president with really the lack of any policy vision a real policy vision that Donald Trump has offered. And so we, we think that contract is going to be very favorable to Senator Rubio over these next few weeks. Lonnie Chen, if Marco Rubio gets to Cleveland July 18th to 21, he's going to get up on the podium, and my guess is he's got to speak to even people from Taiwan like yourself. With the immigration disaster that is your party, how does he – Keep the party faithful who seem so anti-immigration, and yet speak to your parents. Well, you know, I think there's a couple things. You know, immigration is a very challenging issue. There's no question about it. And as he has said repeatedly, uh, what we have to do with this issue is we have to think about it as steps. And what, what the Republican Party, what the base and what most Republicans want, I think a lot of Americans want this too, beyond even just Republicans, is they want to feel like our, there's an integrity to our country's borders. And that is something that has to be focused on first. But then beyond that, you know, there are all sorts of different things that have to be done first to ensure that that happens, you know, whether it's ensuring that we're properly avoiding visa overstays or properly enforcing some kind of employer verification system. Those are all important predicates to any discussion regarding uh, you know, what ought to be done with people who are currently here as illegal immigrants. So th- that is something that Senator Rubio has said. That, that's the policy side of it. There's also, frankly, a tonal part of this discussion as well, which is does this candidate understand uh, where America is headed and what's going to be necessary to continue to grow our economy and continue to welcome people here as America has for over two centuries. And that is something that Senator Rubio uh, has repeatedly done on the campaign trail. You know, I think back to South Carolina, when you saw on stage Marco Rubio, Tim Scott, an African-American senator from South Carolina, Nikki Haley, the governor of South Carolina, who is partially of Asian descent or of Asian descent as well. Uh, you know, that's a very powerful image. And I think that's something that uh, Senator Rubio believes the future of the Republican Party and that is something that speaks very strongly, both to people who are of immigrant descent as well as to people who've been in America for several generations. Listening to you talk, I'm reminded of what our friend uh, Stan Collender, the uh, surveillance budget maven, says to me often on the show. But, Michael, you're talking logically there. <laughs> Lonnie, you're talking logically there. Does it occur to you, I mean, what do you guys talk about when you sit in the, uh, in the, in the privy councils with the senator and his campaign staff? In terms of a campaign where people don't care what you just said, they don't care if the candidate's platform makes sense, they don't care if he's racist, they don't care if he's misogynist, he's just loud, he's angry, they're angry, and they support him anyways. In other words, if, if the, the campaign doesn't make sense, how do you fight it? 
Well, you know, it, 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 it's a good question. I think what has happened to date is that, frankly, most people don't understand what the what the Donald Trump record is, who he is. And, you know, there's been some of this. I get that. There's been some of the some of the reasons why Donald Trump is a problematic candidate and would be a problematic president. Whether it's all the stuff around uh, the fraud around Trump University, uh, you know, or, or his use of illegal immigrants to, to build buildings, I mean, all that stuff is sort of out there in the news. But it really has not been uh, sort of delivered to people in a way that is, is both consistent and sustained. And what we feel is once people hear more about Donald Trump in a real consistent, sustained way, not just not just that stuff in his personal background, but also just his utter lack of ideas in terms of how to to take yeah. this country forward, uh, that's been the problem. Uh, Alani, in the minute that we've got left with you, very quickly, how do you link your policy world to the world of raising money? It's no secret that Mr. Rubio needs to raise a potload of money to get to Cleveland. How do you link your world to bringing in the bacon? Well, the, the answer is simple, which is that uh, we share with people what Senator Rubio's vision is, and they're buying into that vision. You know, they've got a lot of questions about policy, and, and these are good questions about health care, about the economy, about foreign policy. And the answer is to share with them that vision so that they understand what Senator Rubio would stand for uh, and, and, and to be ready to tell them about the specific plans he has, which are plans that we don't believe any other candidate does. Let's leave it there. Lonnie Chen, thank you so much. Uh, with the Rubio campaign, a senior advisor uh, to Mr. Rubio, of course, very importantly, Mike, moving on from Michigan uh, to Florida. Mike, we've talked a little issue. about Michigan. Michigan comes up in a week. It is uh, a key primary. I agree. And at this point, I'm just looking at, again, the real clear uh, politics uh, consensus average, and Donald Trump is 20 points up there as well. Uh, so, yeah, as Lonnie says, two weeks is a long time in yeah. politics. Uh, they've got a week where there's a good chance the story will be dominated by Trump winning again. Well, we've got a three days getting to the jobs report. We will do economics for you in the state of the American labor economy. It's been better than good recently and maybe not as big a campaign issue as some would have suggested. Uh, we heard Dean Mackey talk about a 4% unemployment rate somewhere in the vicinity, Mr. Mackey, uh, Dr. Mackey, rather, with 0.72 economics. Futures negative 6, Dow futures negative 50. Uh, we're up two basis points in the yield, churning 1.84%. West Texas exactly $34 a barrel. Uh, that's down 40 cents this morning. All right, let's bring in Michael Barr with the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have stretched their leads after Super Tuesday wins. Trump's overall delegate count is at 285. It takes 1,237 delegates to win the Republican nomination. Clinton has at least 1,005 delegates overall. And it will take 2,383 Democratic delegates to win the party's nomination. A powerful earthquake hit off the southwestern coast of Sumatra in Indonesia today. There is a concern that it could trigger a tsunami. There were no immediate reports of injuries or damage. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, the earthquake had a preliminary magnitude of 7.8. It seems like the anthem of the seas can't catch a break. The Royal Caribbean cruise ship previously battered by a major storm in the Atlantic last month has returned to port early, cutting short another cruise. The ship docked in Bayonne, New Jersey this morning. Planned stops in Barbados and St. Kitts were skipped because of bad weather. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? 
Michael Barr, thank you so much. Again, Bloomberg surveillance from Washington with futures negative six, Dow futures negative 52. Market Drivers will be brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. This month, your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers welcome spring with limited-time offers on select models like the sporty CLA and the versatile GLA. Each engineered and priced to move, visit MVUSA.com today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures are lower this morning along with crude oil. As investors assess a surge in shares yesterday that sent the S&P 500 to an almost two-month high, we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 6 points. Dow E-mini futures down 48. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 10. The DAX in Germany is up a tenth of a percent. The CAC in Paris down a tenth of a percent. FT100 down four tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.85 percent. The yield on the two-year 0.85 percent. And NYMEX crude oil is down nine tenths percent or 31 cents to 34 dollars. Nine cents a barrel. COMEX gold up three tenths percent or $3.10. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thank you so much. We're trying to be fair and balanced here in Washington and really talk to not only both sides of the political industry, uh, but to give you a perspective chronologically as well as we go to a most historic Super Tuesday uh, yesterday. It's not one that I've ever seen or Michael McKee's ever seen. More lengthy is at Georgetown. He's executive director of their Institute of Politics and Public Service. An exceptionally important position. He does this off of uh, decades of work for the Democratic Party as well. Mo, wonderful to have you on the show. I- I'm going to think of the rhetoric forward in the next 14 days for all Democrats is to first do no harm. What's the number one thing Democrats don't want to do as we go to Florida? Um, uh, you know, look, I think um, you know, the, the trajectory of the Democratic race seems pretty set. I think barring some sort of seismic shift in the dynamic, Hillary Clinton is, pr- is clearly on her way to the nomination. And I, and I think you know, Bernie Sanders has done a lot to help make her a stronger candidate and help shape the debate. But I don't think the numbers are going to be there for him. So what Democrats, I think, need to do is actually keep their foot on the gas. I think Democrats need to ensure that while the sideshow on the Republican side continues to play out, that they're putting their their best foot forward and making the case directly to a general election electorate about what it is they are uh, collectively are going to be offering different from the Republicans. So what they don't want to do, Mo is the lull before the convention. That's, right. that's a danger point, isn't it? Right. Then that's, then that's exactly my point. Right. Keep your foot on the gas. Keep out there. Stay out there. Stay out there making the case. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends, former colleagues in, uh, of mine in the Democratic Party, who are just sitting there gleeful and, and laughing about this Donald Trump phenomenon. And I keep reminding them, it wasn't that long ago that Republican operatives were laughing about Donald Trump as well. He's uh, he's going to be tough to beat in the general election. He's beatable, but it, this isn't going to be a cakewalk for Democrats. So they can't they can't afford to take right. a break now. They've got to continue to make the case. 
in my Cleveland one week before Philadelphia, the convention schedule mm-hmm. in July. How, how do you address, uh, as part of the campaign, uh, Donald Trump from the Democratic side? Uh, what do you say when you're campaigning against somebody who is who's campaigning on the politics of anger and not necessarily the politics of a particular policy. Yeah, look, this is tough, right? We're in uncharted territory here. I mean, every single rule of politics that everyone uh, thought they knew has been thrown out the window here. And this guy has keeps winning and overperforming, uh, saying things that would probably destroy any other candidate in American history. Um, I think there's two things, and you're starting to hear Hillary Clinton do it. You're starting to hear more and more Democrats do it. Number one, um, I think people are angry, but I think one of the things that they're angry about is the divisiveness coming out of Washington. I think they are a little... Uh, uh, a little frustrated by the fact that people are are pitting uh, f- uh, Americans uh, groups of Americans against one another. Uh, Donald Trump feeds into that. He thrives on that. And so the ability for Democrats to continue to make that case, I think it's going to be important. But the second thing, and I think this is actually even more important um, politically, I think the fundamental question Americans are asking these days is, who's got my back? Who's looking out for me? We don't live on a mm-hmm. left versus right paradigm anymore. We live on an up versus down paradigm because most Americans are walking around thinking, you know what, I play by the rules, I do everything I'm supposed to do, and I just can't get ahead. The system is rigged against me. The people above me are getting all the breaks. The people below me are getting all the handouts. Who's looking out for me? And I think right. Democrats need to make the case, number one, why they are, why Hillary Clinton is, and number two, begin to make the case that Donald Trump has never looked out for anybody in his life except for himself. Marco Rubio danced on, around this a little bit during the last debate when he went, started going after Trump on Trump, you know, Trump U and things like that, but it didn't stick. And I think that's, that's where the race is going to go in defining who Donald Trump really is. What happens, and we've only got about a minute left, when he starts to define her? How does she respond when he brings up uh, her husband's sex scandal, uh, when he brings up her Goldman Sachs speeches, and that sort of thing? How does she respond to that? You know, it'll be interesting to see. On the, on the first point, you know, I, man, I think that just rallies people behind her. I don't think um, Donald Trump's going to get a lot of traction. On that, but when it comes to things like the Goldman Sachs speeches, I think you know a level of transparency, and I think again drawing a contrast, Hillary Clinton is going to go out there and make a case that her record, her history, has been one of champ uh, of a, as being a champion for those who need a champion, um, whereas Donald Trump has been a champion for himself, oftentimes at the expense of those others. That's where I think she's got to go and continue to make that contrast. That may be the only way to beat this guy. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We really look forward to speaking to you many more times as we move through uh, this original political uh, process. Molethi is with Georgetown, their Institute of Politics and Public Service, joining us today, of course, working with a number of uh, Democrat Party campaigns uh, over the years. Uh, joining us next, uh, Kevin Hassett. To, we're in search of the Republican establishment. We called in Kevin Hassett of AEI to help guide us towards his Republican establishment, if it's out there as well. I'm really not sure. What I am sure of is Jobs Day on Friday. Bill Gross will join us, lining up a series of good guests as well to give you perspective on the American labor economy. Futures negative 7, Dow Futures negative 55. 
coast to coast, and on 99.1 FM, Washington and Baltimore, this is Bloomberg Surveillance. We're counting you down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luminous, luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 99.1, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. And good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee. And the opening bell brought to you by SEI. Imagine when cognitive computing shapes the experience you create for your investors. See how SEI's global operating platform can be your catalyst for business intelligence at SEIC.com slash imagine. Stocks lower at the open. The S&P 500 down a quarter percent or about five points to 1973. Dow Jones Industrial Average down three-tenths percent or 50 points to 16,814. And the NASDAQ is down two-tenths percent or eight points to 46.81. The 10-year Treasury down 11.30 seconds. The yield 1.86 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.85 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.7 percent or 58 cents to 33.81 a barrel. COMEX gold up six-tenths percent or $7.20 to 12.38 an ounce. The euro $1.0841. The yen 114.11. Tom and Mike. Karen Bosco, thank you very much. Now, joining us now is an old friend, Kevin Hassett, who is uh, chair uh, in American politics and culture at the American Enterprise Institute, director of economic policy studies there. And this is a man who has long and deep ties to both economics and Republicans. He worked at the Federal Reserve. He was a professor of economics and finance at Columbia University, worked in the George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton administrations, and also has advised presidential candidates, including Senator John McCain. Uh, Kevin, let me be, be broad here, uh, given that we aren't quite sure who's going to end up as a Republican nominee, but since there is such a diversion, uh, a divergence of opinions about policy, what should the Republican economic policy be? If you were advising a candidate this time around, what would you say the economic policy should be for the party? You know, I, I'm just an economist, and, and, and hi, guys. It's great to be back. Uh, I'm just an economist, and so I can think about what <clears throat> is going to help the economy, uh, and it's certainly not going to be uh, reduced uh, legal immigration and uh, restrictions on trade, uh, the kind of things that uh, Mr. Trump is proposing. Uh, but, you know, we have to stipulate ex ante that, that, you know, economists may or may not know what is appealing to voters right now. I think that what Trump has done is is he's uh, noticed, uh, I think accurately, that uh, we've had this sort of weird uh, constellation of negative effects of trade uh, in, over the last decade in the U.S., where competition from developing countries has led a lot of people to lose their jobs in sort of the traditional blue-collar uh, areas like manufacturing. Uh, normally, in a well-functioning economy, those people move into the service sector, uh, and then in the service sector, uh, they, you know, they, they could even get the high salaries if, uh, you know, Americans <clears throat> are making money elsewhere. Right. I mean, it, it, okay, but, but in the service 
sector, there's been an enormous amount of competition from illegal immigrants, uh, which has driven down the wage there. And so, and so it subsets, uh, you know, my friend Ed Conard uh, talks a lot about this, uh, also a scholar at AEI. Uh, it subsets then there's a double whammy uh, for people. that they, they feel like they lost their job because of trade, and then when they move right. into the service sector, they're competing with illegal immigrants there, and they get very upset about it, uh, naturally, as anyone would if, you know, their life is, uh, is right. you know, a, a separate from, you know, a prosperous society. And, and, and Trump has totally, uh, you know, tapped into that and I think an effective way. And so, so the question then becomes a challenge for economists. So, so, so how, how, do we, how do we help those folks? Well, I think within this, Kevin, and, and the reason liberals listen to you is, is you've got an inherently optimistic streak about the American economy. <clears throat> What's come up on the show a couple of times, and one thing I would mention, really going back to Vine, Vine, uh, in his, uh, Viner rather, in his 1948 paper, mm-hmm. is it's a mercantile America. And we're back to a zero-sum psychology of the global economy. Can the Republican Party adapt to a mercantilist economic philosophy? Well, they shouldn't because it's wrong. I mean, I mean Adam Smith defeated them in the 1700s. But, you know, yeah, but their guy's like winning seven. Yeah, but, but Kevin... Yeah. Their guy won seven states yesterday. I believe there's some sense of a zero-sum world to the supporters of Mr. Trump. Does your party need to adapt to a zero-sum world? I think that what you have to do is you have to uh, – yeah, both parties uh, – I'm sure Mrs. Clinton is uh, worried about this, too – that you have to come up with solutions Agreed. that can really help people with this problem. And I think that, that those solutions would include things like this, that, that historically – uh, in the U.S., uh, then you, if you took a, a typical manufacturing firm in the Midwest, that there would be people from all walks of life there. There, there would be folks who grew up in the town and who are, you know, have great uh, skills at operating machines. There'd be, you know, some person who was a Harvard MBA uh, who knows how to run a business, and all these people would work together towards a prosperous enterprise that would then share the the you know, wealth of the enterprise with all of the workers. Today, it feels like you're taking the smartest folks. You're uh, lining them up one after the other at Google and Facebook, and you know, out, out working on software where the only people around them are other people with you know top uh, degrees from top universities, and the folks who used to be you know in the same building with these guys are, are you know out of work because there's no more manufacturing job, uh, and they they then find uh, with their low lower skill level that they're competing with lots and lots of illegal immigrants. So so I think that that you know securing the border for sure is part of it. But another thing is is to having having a big increase in immigration of the kind of people that could go back to helping the manufacturing firms succeed. You know, we need a lot yeah, more but, engineers I mean, Mike, and so on to, oh, to, on, to but, be force multipliers. Kevin, you sound like it's 2005. Mike, jump in here. But I was just <laughs> the rhetoric I witnessed on TV last night has nothing to do with Mr. Hassett's philosophy. Well, that's why I'm asking, Kevin, if if. You could design a candidate and a an economic plan now. What would you include in it? Uh, the, everything that has been done since the the Great Recession hasn't brought satisfaction to the people. So we put it that way. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. maybe kept us out of a depression, but uh, people are unhappy. So, what policies could you sell as effective? 
Well, I guess, again, the selling is something that I'm not an expert at, but, but for sure, uh, you know, if we want people's wages to be higher in the U.S., then there are two sustainable ways to do it. One of them is to train them so that they have higher productivity uh, and, and, you know, investing in better schools and so on is a good call. And the second thing is to give them more capital to work with. If you have better machines to work with, your marginal product's higher, you have a higher wage. And right now, with the highest corporate tax on earth, we're chasing all the capital offshore. Now, it might not be a great populist thing. I, I hear you, Tom. That, you know, if I'm up there saying, hey, you know what, we're, we're chasing all the capital away. Uh, you know, Trump did mention this, by the way, that we need to take the trillions back to the U.S., and I would make the deal that would make that happen. But the bottom line is that we need to give people, you know, higher product or create higher productivity if you want higher wages sustainably. And the only way really to do that in the short term for the typical 35-year-old is to give them a lot more capital to work with. We need to become a tax haven, not the highest tax place on earth. Then who's your candidate? Who is your? I, I, I'm fascinated by. Other than Jack Kemp, the late wonderful Jack Kemp, who's your candidate? Yeah, I don't. I don't have a candidate this time. In fact, I've, I've kind of just stayed out of the uh, presidential uh, political game uh, this time by uh, choice. Um, but uh, but not because I don't like any of the guys, but just because I've done five of them and it is time for me to continue to work more on economic research and so on. But that's what I've been doing. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that uh, in the end, though, uh, I think that there's a circle of life in politics that everybody goes through. I can remember a lot of my Republican friends when President Obama won. They're thinking, I'm going to move to Canada, right? That's the first thing. Everybody says that. How many times have you guys heard someone at a party say, you know, if he wins, I'm going to move to Canada? But then what happens is people don't move to Canada. And then a year or two in, the person who wins proposes something that you think is a good idea, and then you help them accomplish that, okay. and then you kind of move on, right? So the fullness of time, okay. what you care about at the Kevin, I, is what are they saying they're going to do? And, yep. Kevin, five seconds. Hillary Clinton is elected. Where are you moving to? Yeah, I'm, I'm staying right here in Washington, D.C. Okay, Kevin Hassett, thank you so much for the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, this is Bloomberg Surveillance. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump says his presidential candidacy is a movement. Trump won in seven states during Super Tuesday. Ted Cruz won in three states, including his home state of Texas, while Marco Rubio chalked up his first victory of the campaign in Minnesota. Hillary Clinton also won seven states. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders won four states, including his home state. Trump's overall delegate account is at 285. Ted Cruz has 149, and Marco Rubio has 82. It takes 1,237 delegates to win the Republican nomination. Clinton has at least 1,001 delegates overall. Bernie Sanders has 373. It takes 2,383 Democratic delegates to win the party's nomination. A powerful earthquake with a preliminary magnitude of 7.9 has hit in the Indian Ocean off Indonesia, about 400 miles off the coast of Sumatra. Robert Sanders with the U.S. Geological Survey says they're not expecting it to trigger a tsunami. This is a very powerful earthquake. However, um, a magnitude 7.9 in this particular area of the world is not uncommon. This is an area stricken by a lot of large sevens, low eights. This is the same area where the magnitude 9.2 happened back in 2004. Crews in the southwestern New York State town of Ripley are working to contain a leak on an ethanol tanker that was among 16 cars on a freight train that derailed last night. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Coast to coast, worldwide, from Bloomberg 99.1 FM in Washington, this is Bloomberg Surveillance.
Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by the New York Chamber of Commerce. Mining agricultural opportunities abound in Nigeria. Learn about protective investments in Africa's most active markets. Thursday, March 3rd, breakfast at 8 a.m. at 20 West 44th Street. Breakfast is free. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stocks are slipping with treasuries while the dollar is strengthening after a jobs report boosted speculation that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates this year. Crude oil is falling for the first time in three days. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down a tenth of a percent or two points in 1975. Dow Jones Industrial Average down two tenths percent or 38 points to 16,826. The Nasdaq's down a tenth of a percent or five points to 4,684. Ten-year Treasury down 8.30 seconds. The yield 1.85 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.85 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1 percent or 35 cents to 34.05 a barrel. COMEX gold up 7 tenths percent or $8.60 to 12.39.10 an ounce. The euro $1.0837. The yen 113.96. Companies added more workers than projected in February. The 214,000 increase in employment followed a revised 193,000 rise in the prior month according to figures from the ADP Research Institute. McKesson, a U.S. distributor of medical products, will acquire Rexall Health from its private owner for $2.2 billion to expand its presence in Canada. And Monsanto cutting its full-year profit forecast. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate all of you being with us today uh, in Washington as we wrap up Super Tuesday and on to this Super Wednesday. Bloomberg Surveillance. This morning, we're brought to you by Interactive Brokers Trading University. Even experienced traders need to keep learning. Traders University will get you up to speed quickly with short videos, webinars, courses, and more. Visit ibkrb.com slash stay ahead. That's ibkrb.com slash stay ahead. David Wilson now with our equity report. A quiet market, David, but you've always got something going. What is it? Well, sure. And uh, you look at the Stanford's 500, the worst performer in early trading is Monsanto. Uh, that stock down 5.3%. The world's largest seed producer cut earnings forecast for the fiscal year ending in August. Company saying lower commodity prices and falling prices for a herbicide, uh, along with weakness in the Argentine peso and other currencies. Uh, you've also got Brown Foreman shares lower in early trading, best known as the maker of Jack Daniels Whiskey. They cut their fiscal year earnings forecast. Third quarter profit matched analyst average estimate in the Bloomberg survey, while revenue came up short, and Brown Foreman shares down 3.2% at the moment. McKesson, as Karen Moscow mentioned, uh, up 3.1%. The drug distributor agreed to buy the Canadian pharmacy owner Rexall Health for about $2.2 billion in cash. McKesson sees the deal adding to earnings for the fiscal year ending next March. And you got CSX up 1.7%. The railroad rebuffed the takeover offer by Canadian Pacific Railway in January. That's according to the Wall Street Journal, citing Canadian Pacific mm-hmm. Chief Executive Hunter Harrison. The CSX declined to comment. Canadian Pacific has been trying since last year to buy another U.S. railroad 
Norfolk Southern. Uh, Ross stores up 2.4%. The off-price retailers' earnings and sales for the fiscal fourth quarter beat estimates. And Ross raised its quarterly dividend 15% to 13.5 cents a share. And one more for you. American Water Works Please. up almost 4%. The utility will join the Standard and Poor's 500 Index after the close of trading tomorrow. American Water will replace coal and natural gas producer Consul Energy, one of the smallest S&P 500 companies by market value. Hey, David Wilson, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. This morning here from Washington in support of 99.1 FM Washington, we greet all of you around the world. We thought we would link back economics, finance, investments from the political storm that we've seen in the last 48 hours. Of course, moving on to our coverage of Michigan and Florida and the other caucuses. Robert Sinch is with Amherst Pierpont. Bob, let me wax philosophical here, as I can only do with a gentleman from Hamilton and Brown. We are right next door to the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, the Church of Abraham Lincoln. He paid $50 for a pew a few years ago. Here is Abraham Lincoln. Republicans are for both the man and the dollar, but in case of conflict, the man will come before the dollar. Abraham Lincoln, they're getting his priorities straight. What does a strong dollar mean for the interesting mercantilism, isolation, the oceans at our borders. What does a strong dollar mean as the Republicans try to regroup, with or without Mr. Trump, to their Cleveland convention? Well, I think the, um, you know, historically strong currencies are actually a, a sign of a strong economy, and uh, strong currencies were something to be uh, to be relished, and weak currencies were something to fear. And uh, I think in a certain in certain contexts, obviously the stronger dollar here is reflecting the fact that U.S. economic performance has has uh, has improved substantially. I, I think the problem um, that people face politically is that with the potential growth rate for the U.S. a lot lower than it used to be, productivity growth not that strong, uh, labor force is stable at best. Um, it doesn't feel like it's a strong economy. So globally, the U.S. looks pretty good. Internally, there's still this feeling that the economy really hasn't recovered uh, from the Great Recession. What are people really thinking about the dollar, though? I, I, I look at the, the DXY index, and it's up, and then it's down a tenth of a percent you know, every other day. It really hasn't moved a whole lot from a band between 97 and 99. It hasn't gotten to 99 in a while. Uh, right. It seems to me that people have made up their minds about where we are, and they're not really moving money around. I think that's absolutely the case. I think with with the volatility in markets earlier this year, uh, that certainly put a freeze on cross-border capital flows. We've talked about that a few times in the past. Um, and as a result, we haven't seen big movements in currencies, um, which, again, suggests to me that we're not seeing these big capital flows across borders um, as a result. So I think... But, you know, what we're, what we're seeing here is a consolidation phase for the dollar. Uh, I think it's consolidated the economic outperformance. It's consolidated the fact that the Fed is going to yeah. hike rates this year, but perhaps not as much as previously expected. So I think uh, with respect to the dollar outlook, it really moves with the Fed outlook. To review, folks, we've got DXY, we quote, we've got the obvious currency pairs with yen weakness through the morning and a little bit of yen strength in the last hour. But the reality, Bob, is there's a lot of ways to value the relative value of the dollar. Is the dollar rich now, or is it cheap? 
Well, I think part of it is level and part of it is rate of change. The rate of improvement of the dollar since 2011, uh, since 2011 lows is pretty extreme, and that creates some dislocations for companies um, and trade relationships. Uh, the level of the dollar by historic standards is, is kind of around the middle midpoint of its long-term range, not very far from, from long-term averages. So, so I think the, the economy, as we've seen, can adjust to this. We're seeing the manufacturing sector look like it uh, stabilized in the latest uh, ISM data. Um, and so I think the big abrupt adjustment of the dollar is behind us. I don't think the level is particularly problematic. Um, and if we see some some uh, greater stability in the dollar, I think this will likely fade as an issue as we go through the year. Why are people still uh, using the Japanese yen as a, a haven, given the rhetoric in the last few weeks about Abenomics failing? You know, I think it has a lot to do with <clears throat> with the lack of capital outflow from Japan. Remember, Japan lost its current account surplus. Um, a couple years ago when they suffered through the tsunami and earthquake and they had to import a lot of, a lot of oil. Um, Japan has really returned to a very strong current account surplus, um, a lot of that based on the lowering of, of energy prices and their, their import bill. As a result, they're running a surplus with, uh, with foreign countries every month on a current account uh, basis. If they don't recycle that current account, if they don't have capital outflow from Japan, the natural tendency is for that currency to go up. And so I think during the early part of the year, uh, it was less, uh, I think, capital money moving into Japan, but more about capital not leaving Japan and the natural tendency for a currency with a current account surplus is for it to rise. Let me ask you the uh, the question. It drives me nuts, Bob. I'm almost rude to ask you the question, but... I will. Is there a linkage between our economic performance and the politics of the moment? I don't detect that linkage, but a lot of people are trying to find some mystical linkage. Is it there? You know, the economy is certainly performing better. The unemployment, I mean, if you told, uh, told you know, politicians a couple of years ago the unemployment rate would be down under 5%, inflation yeah. would be below 2%, you'd say, Man, that is a, that's just an outstanding economic environment. Nobody wants to run on an outstanding economic environment right now. Everybody wants yeah. to find what's wrong in the economy. And, uh, again, I think that has to do with, with potential growth rates. It has to do with the long-term impact of, of globalization. So it's a, it's a very strange political economic environment because although mm -hmm. the numbers look good, it doesn't feel good. Bob Sanchez, thank you so much. With Amherst Pierpont on short notice today to really wrap up in a smart way our coverage. Mike, this has been fun. Economics, finance, investment, politics, Donnybrook, establishment war. What else did we cover? Something else in there as well. <laughs> Markets uh, and, uh, oh, National Hockey League. Yeah, the National Hockey That's League. That's always the important that, thing. Yeah. Uh, with the uh, best hockey team on the planet, the Washington uh, Capitals. We need to thank Marty Schenker and the entire team here at our Washington News Bureau. Megan Murphy, of course, she was up in New York for this, but uh, we thank her as well for a great, great two days effort with 99.1 FM Washington. We'll be back in New York tomorrow to begin two focus days on the American labor economy with Jobs Day on Friday. Bill Gross, among others, joining us at that time. This is Bloomberg Surveillance with the Dow, negative 69.